0: So, hear these words this morning from Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then can we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will, discover peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So here on Holy Humor Sunday, I have a little story for you. There was a woman who had died, and so she had her funeral in her church. And as everyone gathered, and they did go through the funeral, they had the whole service, and then the pallbearers picked up her casket and were heading out the door, until they accidentally bumped the wall with the casket. And at that, everyone in the sanctuary heard this very faint but low sound, a moan. And so they opened the casket, and lo and behold, yes, the woman was still alive. So praise be to God, she was alive. And she got to live another 10 years. At 10 years, though, she passed away again, and they had the ceremony, same picture in the sanctuary, People there, and as the pallbearers picked her up, picked up the casket, was taking her out of the door, her husband yelled behind them, Watch out for the wall! You get it? Again, it's Holy Humor Sunday, and it's okay to laugh. I will tell you though that in trying to find some jokes that I could use here in worship, I gotta tell you one thing I found Christians are not that funny. There is an internet full of bad, bad jokes out there. Some of them are straight-up offensive. Some of them are just downright unfunny. For example, uh, how does Moses pour tea? He brews it. Oh, right? I know there's a few of you out there who would have told me that joke. It's not funny. And it really is too bad that as Christians we can't get our humor more in place because you know what? It is a tragedy that becomes a comedy. That is our good news. There's a death on a cross, but the story doesn't end there. The story never ends in death for us. There is resurrection in Christ. There is his resurrection. And in that resurrection, there is laughter and a happy ending. So think about it this way. The, the reason why the second Sunday after Easter, Easter, it's appropriate for us to call this Holy Humor Sunday, have you ever seen the movie Zootopia? All right, so there's this Disney movie called Zootopia and in it there's all these animomorphic animals, right? It's so animals who talk and do all the action. And whenever you encounter a sloth in this movie, if you told a sloth a joke, do you remember what happens? They tell, you tell the joke and they stand there because they're sloths and then they do this. Right? Remember that? It's just this very slow thing because sloths are really slow. Well, you know, the same thing happens in the midst of something like resurrection. Mary, Peter, the rest of them, they all end up at the tomb and in the days after. And it is this slow roll. On Easter, it's still shock. It's still awe. It's even fear. But give them a little time to come into what this is. And then the laughter because of the joy is supposed to show up. So yeah, the second Sunday after Easter is Holy Laughter Sunday, because as we wake from the tragedy becoming a comedy, now we really understand, where, O oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And finally, we can smile and we can laugh. Our tears have turned into laughter, but it does take the time. The joke of Easter was on the devil, But here, as we also talk about the Holy Catholic Church, we should probably also recognize that the joke is on us, not just the devil. Think about it this way. I read to you this morning this part of the Heidelberg Catechism that talked about the Holy Catholic Church. When you heard that we were going to do a sermon series, or this particular part of the sermon series on the Holy Catholic Church, what did you think I was going to talk about? Did you think I was going to talk about us? the church the people either sometimes in these pews but of course this Sunday sitting at home all the vastness of it the Catholicness of it the universalness of it sure you would seem to think that that's what I'd be talking about but the joke's on us because the Heidelberg doesn't say that the Holy Catholic Church when we confess that as Christians has anything to do with us at least not at the beginning what it says is When you confess the Holy Catholic Church, what you're saying is, I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community, chosen for eternal life, and united in true faith. Not a single sentence in what the Heidelberg says has anything where we are the subject God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are the subjects of what it means to confess this. Because it's not our work. It is God's work that creates a holy Catholic community, a holy Catholic church. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus in his sacrifice, and it's the Holy Spirit in sustaining us that that makes us church not based on what we do. And that's exactly what it says in Romans as well. Hear hear these words again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. But what's being said there is that everything around us comes down to God's action in our lives. God's sovereignty is absolute. The choice at the beginning of the world to save us, to be our God, for us to be God's people, is God's work, not ours. And if you picture it, what Paul, who wrote Romans, is saying there, he's saying, yes, it's... The choice is being made over you. God predestined you. But then he also throws in that idea that Jesus is the firstborn of a large family. So if you want to get a picture of what is being promised here, then again, go back to the image of the word Lord. We've talked about that word before. The idea that the Lord would be somebody who owned a massive estate, and that there were people, us, working out in the fields, and that was our relationship to God. We were those who were to work for God. We lived under God's protection. But what Paul says is, Jesus becomes the firstborn of a large family. In other words, we go from being out in the fields into being part of the family. We go, and this is his word for it, we are adopted into the family of God. So we go from calling God Lord to calling God God father along with jesus he is the older brother we are all the siblings adopted into that family and what we have to understand when we talk about god's choosing us when we are god's church holy and catholic ask yourself this as parents would you ever unchoose one of your kids i mean overall Certainly, there are days, I'm sure, but when you have kids and you understand what steadfast love really is about, would you ever unchoose them for any reason? It's a story of the prodigal son all over again, that even when it seems like they're lost and they get found, you celebrate. This is not just a transactional relationship with the Lord of the manor, this is now a God who loves you as a child. You are chosen and loved, and nothing will separate you from the love of God. When we say the Holy Catholic Church, that is what we are hearing the promise of again for everyone around us. The promise that we hold for each other. Not a single one of us will ever be separated from the love of God. Now I know that we in the Reformed tradition who have the Heidelberg Catechism, we don't always agree with other Christians on this matter. There's plenty of other Christian traditions, most of them, that have a problem with that idea. One reason they have a problem with it, I think, is because they think it sounds really risky. It is. Sometimes the best humor is very risky. It is a risk. Because what would happen to churches if everybody found out that they didn't have to do anything to earn their salvation? Would they show up to church? Would they ever give? What would the world become? What would the world become if everyone was laid off work? I don't know. There'd still be people volunteering at wherever they could because they need to do something. From who they are, they need to do something. There's healthcare workers in our state right now from other states simply because the call was put out to them, please come and join us here, we need your help. And they showed up. It's a huge risk, yes, it's a huge risk when you tell people they don't have to do anything to earn God's love and that nothing will ever separate them from it. And yet, like that passage says, and Paul says it, Very clearly, he says it is the Spirit that intercedes for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And it is God who searches the heart, knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. It's a risk. But when you are guided by the Spirit, when you are sustained in the Spirit, it is a risk God is willing to take. I think a lot of times, too, that we have a problem with the idea that God chooses us, that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, because it doesn't sound like the world would make much sense that way. I mean, at the base of justice, isn't it the idea that the world is fair? Fair. That people get what they deserve. That there is those who are good and they get rewarded. Those who are bad get punished. And yet, if that is your only idea about what God is up to in the world, then the cross and Easter does not make any sense. Jesus did not deserve what he got. And yet he did it anyway. Into the mystery of what happens on the cross, we become a people whose own guilt is taken away from us. And there are many who who just cannot see that world that way. But if you're one of them, who can't see the connection between what we believe and how our lives here and now, the way we are together in church or society, this is the joke. You need to learn to laugh. Our forgiveness is not what we deserve. Our forgiveness is what is gifted to us. Because a steadfast love of a parent does not give up on a child no matter what they do. And God does not give up on us. In fact, the standard needs to be this. Remember that passage in the Bible where Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, how much more does God love you than them? You love your kids, how much more does God love you? You care about the people around you. How much more does God care about you? Why do we attribute to God less than that and not more? You can attribute less to it if God is simply Lord, but God is Father. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. I also know people really struggle with the idea of this because there is a seemingly random, horrible destructive injustice in the world. All kinds of bad things happen, and the idea that you would lay those at God's feet, because that is what you're saying. Everything that happens to us, we live and move and have our being within God. The Holy Spirit sustains us. That means everything is up to God's sovereignty, to God's power, to God's control. To laying that at God's feet just seems like such a horrible, horrific thing. But Paul said it, all things work together for our good. God is both sovereign, all-powerful, and providential, which means that God has a plan, and it's a good plan for all of our lives. And all of those horrible, random, destructive, unjust things, they get transformed. They get transformed from the tragedy into the comedy, and that's when we get to laugh everything horrible changes. Every death is turned into resurrection. Allowing God to be sovereign in your lives, it feels like a huge risk. But the same way God takes a huge risk, with the spirit within us, we will still be the people God wants us to be. This is a risk worth taking. It's the only real hope if every day of our lives it becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes about somehow earning a presence in a presence with God where God would love us enough to save us there is no hope in that but the hope that God is the father who will never let you go that's hope at the heart of the gospel is the promise to fear not Don't inspire the world as Christ's holy Catholic Church with fear, but with love. One other thing I want to say this morning, though, on this topic is the biggest joke of all about the holy Catholic Church is this. Whatever else you think is true, it won't work. The word no is the word that Paul uses. When he asks that question, what will separate you from the love of God? Who will separate you from the love of God? The next word he uses is no. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor anything to come, nor powers, heights, depths, Anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. No. Who can separate you from the love of God? No. What can separate you from the love of God? No. When will you be separated from the love of God? No. If you do this, can I be separated from the love of God? No. No. A no, that means God is saying, yes, I love you. That's a comedy. It's like that moment when the Pharisees dragged a woman to Jesus' feet because they had caught her in, adul- in adultery and either they were trying to get her condemned for adultery or trying to trick Jesus and they say, what are you going to do about it? What does he say? No, I do not condemn her. Later on in the early church when the deacon Stephen was preaching the gospel and a man named Saul stoned him to death. What did God say to that? He said, no, He took Saul while he was going down the Damascus Road and he stopped him and he had a vision and Saul became the very man who wrote these words today. Saul becomes Paul because God said, no. When that prodigal son came home and the other brother was looking at his own brother and saying, how can you accept him back in? The father just kept saying, kill the fatted calf. The lost have been found. Hear that no. When other people tell you that there is some way that you can be separated from the love of God, just hear that one precise, important word from God. No. And when the voice is in your own head, Peter denied Jesus three times You know how tortured he was in the days after Jesus' resurrection? Jesus had to show up in his life and say, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He had to say it three times before it got through. But for all the ways that Peter was thinking that he could never be loved again, Jesus was saying, no, no, no. When Thomas was so heartbroken by everything that had happened around Jesus, all the loss of faith that he had had, and he shut out the world, saying, I'm not going to talk to the rest of the disciples, I'm not going to talk to this this person that you claim is the resurrected Christ, I will not believe it. Jesus didn't accept that answer, and he showed up and said, touch my hands, touch my sides. No. And when Mary was weeping at the tomb, and Jesus says... Woman, why are you crying? Hear the no. No more tragedy. The old is gone. The new has come. We get to laugh now. It is God who is making us the holy Catholic Church. God is making us holy. God is making us Catholic, meaning universal. God is making us the church. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. So laugh, that's your assignment today. With that robust laughter that comes from tragedy, it takes a while to get there, but then we laugh with the robust laughter that God gives because the tragedy is over. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray for those who need to be remembered today. Those who made the news headlines because of what they have done or said. Those who have been brought to our attention through a meeting or a conversation. Those who are in the hospital, in care, or in a place that is strange to them. Those in whose family or marriage or close relationship there is a stress or a breakup. Those who are waiting for a birth or a death or news that will affect their lives. Those who need to forget the God they do not believe in and meet the God who believes in them. Those whose pain or potential should not be forgotten by us because God, you are making all things good. All things work together for their good. So Lord, help all those who hurt and all those who mourn Have their sorrow turned into gladness. May they laugh a robust, full-throated laugh as their night is turned to day. Lord, we believe that you hear our prayer and will be faithful to your promise to answer us. And so when we open our eyes again, may we do so not to end our devotion, but to expect your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For one man he had made all the nations. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your belief so that that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen, and go in peace.